This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year, we're exploring a lot of the New Testament. Last year, we did the Gospels and the life of Jesus. And this year, we're doing Acts and the rest of the New Testament in what we're calling the Mission of Jesus or the Beyond Mission study. And today, we're, we're stepping away from the city of Corinth when Paul went there, Acts 18, and we're looking more deeply into the letters in First and Second Corinthians. In particular today, we're going to look at First Corinthians. You know, Ben, there are so many topics inside of First and Second Corinthians. We could probably do a several-month podcast, six-month podcast, just on the content of First and Second Corinthians. You think we could pull that off someday? Yeah, yeah, that that would be labor-intensive. But for the amount of things that Paul addressed within uh within Corinthians. I mean there's a there's a treasure trove uh relative really in, in some ways God's kingdom ethic versus uh the world's ethic. I, I, really I think that's maybe what you just said kind of the topic of today. And rather than deal with all of it, we're just gonna skim over some of it. We're gonna kind of land on this topic of rights and responsibilities. Because the the world in which they lived in Corinth said, you got the right to explore and do whatever you want. Remember that Corinth had the temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love and lust, passion and pleasure, sensuality and sexuality. And that temple employed as many as a thousand prostitutes to pleasure people. And so they lived in this world in which they, they were coming to Christ, but they still were saturated by the world around them. And so Paul is writing this letter back to them and saying, hey, you've come away from that world, but here we come into the topic of, I have the right to do whatever I want, which is not a new thought again. I, I, I own my own person. You do you, I do me. I have the right to do whatever I want, and we'll just trust in God's grace. Not a new thought, is it? So here we here we go. So uh, let's think about this for a minute. This concept of the rights of a Christian, as we just like on a broad basis. What are your thoughts about rights that Christians have by being saved by Christ? You can go, you know, a hundred different ways uh, with that, depending upon uh, what context. Um, you're in, you know, and so we think about the the rights in in which we have, uh, even from a standpoint, I think, man, this is going down a rabbit hole, maybe, but even from a, a materialistic uh, standpoint, you know, I, I want to be met. We live in a, a a culture that highly values materialism, uh, that highly values, you know, the the American way of life, almost where we've like blended. Um, the American dream in with our, in, in with American Christianity, uh, in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. so there's like mm-hmm. fixtures and aspects of like prosperity gospel that exist, uh, within our, uh, within our culture, within our, our churches, whether we recognize these things or not. And so while, you know, God's good gifts to us are, are meant to be enjoyed, I don't want to enjoy them in such a way that it's going to cause my brother or sister in Christ um, to draw them into 
what could potentially be a materialistically harmful or a, a, a deeper, you know, maybe like some sort of like materialistic idolatry where because of, of God's good gifts, where we go out and, and we spend in, in such a ways where it's going to create a problem uh, for someone else, where it's going to draw them into uh, looking at life or, or seeing a, a means or a way to happiness and joy uh, through materialistic pursuits, if that, if that makes sense. And so I think about somebody who's a follower of Christ, who has, who has great wealth, you know, great wealth to be enjoyed, but also understanding I don't want to lead somebody uh, into a lifestyle that's going to become a burden to them. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of I sense. I might not be yeah, making I, any sense. Well, here's, what, here's the connection I'm making. You can tell me if this connects. And that is, we often look at places like Corinth and say, oh, look at them. They had all of these idols. They had a temple to Apollo and one to Poseidon and then Aphrodite and many other ones as well. And they worshiped these statues as idols. They worshiped these false gods as, as a true god. And they had all these behaviors and practices they did to that, like they'd have temple prostitutes and they, they, would, they would have food which had been sacrificed, these idols, and if you ate the food, it was supposed to make you more this or that. So we look at that like as a foreign world, and yet in our own culture, we have a different version of idols that become a trap for us if we allow them to. I think that's what I'm hearing you say. I know that you attended one of our nephew Abraham's lacrosse games so there you go, Abraham. We got lacrosse in there. And we went to a sports complex. I saw you there. went to the sports complex that was massive. Both you and I went to the wrong parking lots because there were so many ball diamonds, so many fields, and so many buildings. This was an enormous sports complex that had football fields and soccer fields and lacrosse fields and baseball diamonds and all kinds of things. We couldn't even see the other side of it from where it is. And I'm not saying that sports is by nature evil, just like eating is not evil. Paul's going to get to that here in his topic, but, or, or nor is music or, or anything else by, by design, it's not evil. But when we sacrifice our family to that or sacrifice our allegiance to God to those things, whether it's materialism or whatever it is, it can be idolatry for us. Is that a, is that a connection? Yes, thank you. You're making sense of things that I was making little sense with. But yeah, you, you think about sports. You think about, is it wrong for me to play a soccer game on a Sunday morning instead of going to church? In theory, no. There's nothing necessarily intrinsically wrong with that. But when we ultimately substitute God in a relationship with God uh, at the, the foot of uh, soccer or baseball or whatever it is that we're playing, then what we've done is we've taken that good thing and we've turned it into our functional God, where it becomes a replacement uh, for God. So in this Corinthian culture, they had their own deal. I don't know if they had too many lacrosse teams. But they had, they had their own things in their culture that were very much a part of their Greco-Roman Empire, their Hellenistic culture in the city of Corinth. And one of those, there were idols everywhere that we've talked about. And 
food was being offered to that. And so the deal was, if I'm a Christian, I shouldn't eat this food that's been offered to a false god, right? And other people were saying, well, of course I can, because it's no big deal. There are no false gods. So I don't care what this, how they, they sacrificed this food or did a prayer for this food or anything like that. So he, he picks the story up in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Verse 4. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, small g, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, lords, yet for us there is only one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So he's making this this statement of saying, look, these are false things. These statues or, or Greek gods and goddesses and all these idols, they're nothing. They're, they're, they're made of statue material. They're, they're nothing at all. And we don't have to worry about those things at all. He makes a warning, though, in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights, there's the word rights, the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. Am I reading that right? Yeah, and so the ultimate concern isn't for my rights, but it's for the sake of my brother or sister in Christ. Um, while I might have, in, in essence, freedom to be able to do something, is it going to violate the conscience of the brother or sister in Christ to where they might engage in similar behavior because they see me do it and yet they're wrestling internally with, is this right before God? To where ultimately this violation of uh, conscience is leading them astray. So that's a complete behavioral change. Paul says, if it takes it, I'll never eat meat again. You know, if all the meat's been sacrificed to a false god, and it's causing people to stumble, I'll just not do it. Right. So ap- apply that to our lives. Are there things in life we say, I, I just need to stop doing this because the witness to my family or my neighborhood or to whomever is not drawing them to Christ, but drawing them to the thing which seems like the rest of the world. You got the, I mean, how, how do we approach that or make a decision on the things that like, okay, this is not going to affect my faith, but it might affect another guy's faith. What's our approach? Yeah. And in those moments, I mean, it is, it's just utter humility and and thinking to myself, am I ultimately loving my neighbor by engaging in particular behavior that is going to lead them ultimately away, uh, away from Christ? And so sometimes again, it's it's discerning, it's discernment based upon context, based upon 
the idols that are existent around this. And so, again, you know, I might I might have the the means maybe to greater uh, greater material gain, um, but making sure that I'm living in such a way where I'm not going to lead someone to pick up materialism as an idol in itself, if that makes sense. It was the point I was trying to make earlier, mm, yeah. very, as I'm processing all of this, uh, you know, because there are so many different things that can ultimately become a trap that where we technically have freedom in Christ to engage in certain things, those things can all, all also be a real trap for some people. One, one of the things that, that I think about, which now we're going to jump into it, but it's an easy example um, in some ways, is, is alcohol. There's not a prohibition, a biblical prohibition against having a, you know, against having a beer. We see that even in the, the wedding feast in Cana. And my Baptist brethren can debate me up and down the street on whether or not Jesus truly made water into wine. Understanding the co- cultural context of that, he definitively made wine. Um, and so is there freedom there if you wanted to have a, a beer? Sure. The reality is, though, is that in certain contexts, you can lead a brother or sister in Christ into a violating conscience because they see it as, as sinful or they see it as wrong, or you could be in such a, a, a context where somebody in your midst could be an alcoholic and you would never want to lead that person into an abuse situation. And so where you absolutely, you know, need to refrain from, from drinking. I mean, Lord knows I've got multiple folks in my own family who have wrestled with alcoholism, <laughs> the idea that you would drink in front of them is, is abhorrent because why would you lead them, A, to violate their conscience or put a source of temptation uh, in front of them uh, and open them up to that temptation, which is an absolute detriment to them, to, to their own personal health, to the relationship with Jesus Christ, to the relationship with their family members. This, uh, what you're talking about is picked up in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, when Paul says this in chapter 10, verse 23, he's quoting people say, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything's beneficial. Another quote, I have the right to do anything. And Paul writes, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And skip down to verse 31, chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks, which would be non-Jews, or the Church of God, other Christians. Even as, he says, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So this is this concept, like, uh, we're not in this for ourselves. We're in this to bear witness to Christ. And if we're participating in, in behavior or language or tons of other things, the clothing we wear, that draws people away from the goodness of God in their lives, from the redemption of Jesus Christ, if it draws them away from, them from that. You may have a right to do it, mm-hmm. so to speak, 
but it's not good. It's a, it's a negative thing. Right. And, and that's even to the point, and this sounds crazy, but again, understanding your context and where you're at, there can be certain contexts, for instance, uh, globally, where ancestral worship is a real issue and can be a real issue with uh, among the Christian community. And so going in, if you were moving into that, that culture, you're moving into that context, you'd have to even be somewhat careful in how pictures are displayed concerning your family. Because people might associate that with ancestral worship to where they see it as, you know, it becomes more syncretism. Um, and so again, part of it is understanding cultural context. Part of it is understanding the, the trappings of the world around you um, and, and recognizing and understanding what are those things where I might have freedom to, to display pictures of family members however I want in a particular cultural context that could be detrimental to somebody's relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know that sounds crazy uh, potentially to us, but again, it's that greater sensitivity to the people around us. How are we ultimately, as Paul gets into in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, it, are my actions being born of love or am I just thinking about myself and uh, the things that I'm giving myself to? Yeah, I'm going to do anything I want, whenever I want, however I want. And if that's the the focus, then I is the operative word in that. I have rights. I have the right to do anything that I want. And if that's the focus of a person's life, then the spotlight's on I, not on, not on the greatness of God and the sacrifice of his son on the cross for us. And I, I think that's what Paul's getting at with this. He's like, hey, you guys, you still live in Corinth. And Corinth is corrupt. I mean, you've got every Greek god around you. You've got temples. You've got statues. You've got idols. You have sexual promiscuity. It is everywhere in, in your midst. And just because you might think you have the right to walk through this temple or, or be part of this, this practice that's been done in your culture doesn't mean it's good. Because it draws people away. Yeah, and and again, I mean, even I mean, and again, how this can be applied, it can be applied in so many different ways. Yeah. Even from the standpoint of if you're in a particular cultural context where the religious practices within that context are related to charms, for instance, mm -hmm. you don't wear a cross around your neck because what it's perceived as as it is as a Christian charm. Rather than for us, it's just representative of our Savior, people will see the actual uh, functional image of the cross as possessing power within itself, and that Christians are wearing that to that end, when that's obviously, that's, that's not the, the rationale or the reason behind uh, you know, carrying a cross or, or having a cross a, a, upon our neck or whatever it might be, but in a particular context— it could be perceived in the wrong way. And so being aware culturally and contextually uh, of the things around us that are potentially associated with idolatry and not leading people into those things. In between these, these the chapters of chapter 8 and, and 10, over in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul makes it personal. And I just want to talk about this for just a couple of minutes. Chapter 9, pick it up in verse 13, where he says, Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar 
share in what is offered at the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel, like us. But he goes on in verse 15 to say, But I have not used any of these rights. There's the word again, rights. I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I'd rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's all that matters to Paul. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights, word, as a preacher of the gospel. He doesn't seem to be here saying that um, no preacher should be paid, because he says you have the, the right to do so. But for him, it was an important distinction to make that he wasn't claiming those rights in and among the Corinthian people. So um, what say you about that? You know, here, here we are, and um, we, get, we don't get paychecks anymore. It just kind of goes magically to the bank. Um, but we, we are paid for what we do in our work in helping to give guidance and direction to, to this church. Yeah, Paul's what, saying I, I, he was doing something different. So what, what's going on culturally or contextually? Give some insight into that. Yeah, I think the way that I apply that um, for me is that I have never negotiated a salary on, on my behalf. And so I've never asked for a raise. It's always been based upon what the church was, in essence, offering. And so it wasn't something that I was going to claim for myself but something that was ultimately uh, discerned by, by the church where I was serving um, and, and offered uh, to me. And so I see Paul here, basically the, the essence, he's like, I'm not going to mandate a paycheck. Um, I'm here to, to proclaim the gospel. And as you see fit to provide for me, you see fit to provide for me. Yeah, so there's there's a number of areas in here that Paul's ta- talking about rights, the the right to draw a paycheck, the right to eat whatever food I want, the right to drink whatever beverage I want, the I have the right to do anything. It, it, in the other parts of of the book of First Corinthians, people were claiming they had the right to continue to explore sensuality in a very sex saturated society in which they they lived. And Paul seems to continually come back to them and says, look, look, your salvation in Christ is your salvation in Christ, but don't use grace like a barter chip so that you can get away with whatever you want to get away with. And to me, the, the applications to our real-world life is, I'd say, if we are in our own lives trying to sort of get away with things or do things like the rest of the world, and we, we don't believe this is good and godly and a great witness, we might want to pause and ask ourselves the question, do I just think I have the right to do this? Or is this God's best for me? And is God's best use of me as a witness for the gospel? 
give me your final thoughts on this good topic. Yeah, I think sometimes, relative to what you just said, I think sometimes there's a sense among some Christians where it's like, hey, can you just tell me where the line is? Yeah. Well, what's the line? And I, I think sometimes we approach our relationship with Jesus Christ through the, through the wrong lens. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I want to abide in Christ. I, I want my heart to be formed by Christ. And so the, the constant asking of, you know, well, where's the line um, is the wrong, the wrong question. And, and as it relates to uh, Paul's writing in Corinthians, one of the things we realize is that, yes, there are areas where freedom exists. Um, to where there are things that God hasn't necessarily said no to, uh, but there are those things that that people born of their own conscience, it would be a violation of conscience to engage uh, in those things. And we need to be sensitive about those things. And the other reality is, though, is when we read uh, Paul's words in Corinthians and as we read Scripture as a whole, there's also those things, though, that God clearly reveals to us that are good and whole and, and right relative to our relationship uh, with Christ. I mean, he's called, you know, for instance, we've been called to go and to bear witness, to go and make disciples. That's non-negotiable. That should be an outgrowth of our relationship with Jesus Christ and something that we should joyously give ourselves to. There's also those things in, in the writings where uh, Paul or other writers, Jesus himself, point to and say, these things are uh, are an act of rebellion. These things are opposed to my kingdom ethic, Jesus would say. And those things we need to, there is no freedom there. And so that's the other recognition that there are aspects to our life in Christ where God's no is a no for the sake of our good, for the sake of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so identifying those things and recognizing those things uh, throughout the scriptures uh, as well. But as it comes to our relationship with Christ, again, the the idea that I just, I want more of Christ in my life. I want my heart to be formed more fully uh, in him, to be more fully aligned with him, because that's the ultimate goal, is I want my heart, my life to be ripe in his love, to be ripe in his joy, to be ripe in, in his character, that my life would be a living witness uh, to him. And so to that end, you know, I've, I've always got my brother and sister in Christ in mind relative to my own actions and relationship with Christ. I've got my non-Christian neighbor in mind relative to my own uh, life in Christ because my ultimate desire, our ultimate desire, should be to, again, make much of Jesus Christ, to raise high the banner of the cross and to, to bear witness to Jesus in all that we do. Yeah, rather than saying, I want to claim my rights— Maybe the best thing we can do is say, I want to be right with Jesus, yeah. and I want to be a right witness for the world around me. That's a good discussion today. There, there's a, there's a, just a ton more about this in the book of 1 Corinthians, so we encourage all who are listening to spend some time reading through the letter to the Corinthians. Th this next time we meet again, we'll be wrapping up 1 Corinthians and begin our exploration of 2 Corinthians. Again, there are 29 total chapters between these two letters, so we have a lot of info about the Corinthian culture and what was going on there and how important it was as a, an image bearer for all of us because we, 
we live in a similar culture that the world is dominant and and the ways of God are not dominant. And how do we navigate those waters as we're trying to do it? That perhaps is, is what we're at least having a discussion about in these podcasts. So if you want to stay up to date with the Beyond Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you do get your podcasts. And if you want to jump in deeper to these topics a little bit more, go to fishersumc.org or find the app and click on the Beyond Mission link. Because what we're hoping more than anything is that you interact with it. The theme is to be on mission this year so that it's not just a something we learn about, but it's a way of life that we live in the world today. Until next time, may God bless.